posts on social media. You know what, I've seen these posts on social media. I don't know if anybody else has seen these things where somebody will put a thing that'll say, if your house was to burn down, what would be the first thing that you would want to save? You know, and everybody writes it down, they put their dog, their cat, their passport, their phone, their tablet, and all these types of things. But every single one of us has value, something of value in our home, isn't it? Maybe, maybe it's a jewelry box, you know, maybe it's a whole bunch of treasures or some jewelry. Or maybe it's not something of um, necessarily of financial value, but maybe it's something of sentimental value. So no money could replace, um, could replace that item because it's of sentimental value. You couldn't put a price to it. So what do you do to protect this item that you have in your home? You know what, we take out insurance, don't we? Contents insurance against theft or loss or damage. Or we take out household insurance, because maybe it's the house, and we want to protect it against flood or fire. And when you go out, what do you do? You lock the windows, you lock the doors, you make sure that the house is secure. So you're careful about protecting this item. You keep it secure. You do everything in your power to protect it, to look after it. Isn't that right? Am I the only one? No, everybody. We've all got that thing, you know, that item. However, I want to put it to you today that there's something of even greater value than that precious item. Something which money cannot buy and which insurance policies cannot protect. And something that we can sometimes take for granted. That, um, can we... It's a bit uh, noisy out there. Something that we might take for granted, and we might go through life without paying any attention to it, presuming that everything is okay. And what it is that I'm talking about? Our heart. You know what? The Bible has a lot to say about our heart. In fact, it talks about the heart 771 times. That's a lot. You know, when you look up the word love, I think love only shows 300 and something, but the heart shows over 700 times. So our main scripture for today is Proverbs 4, 23, and it says, Proverbs 4, 23 says, here it comes, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Okay, we're going to have to do something with a little bit of the noise. Um, hey? It's the donuts kicking in. Yes, definitely the donuts kicking in. Okay, so it says, keep your heart with all diligence. Some, some translations say, your vigilance, for out of it spring the issues of life. In fact, the New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else, for your heart determines the course of your life. Can we close one of those doors? Keep your heart. So that word, keep your heart, that was up on the screen. It means guard your heart. Watch over it. Protect your heart. Be diligent. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Be careful. Pay attention to the condition of your heart. If your heart determines the, way, the course of your life, I'd say your heart has got 
high priority, should have high priority. The Passion Translation says, pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellsprings of life. So we're talking here about the inward man. Excuse all the little movements that we're doing here, the sign language that's going on. We're talking here about the inward man, the inner life. Okay, this is what we're talking about. The soul. The soul is the part of us that consists of the mind, the will, and the emotions. So the soul is the seat of our emotions, and it's where we make our decisions. It's where we make a lot of our decisions. It's who we are on the inside of us. So what does it mean to actually guard your heart? I'm glad you asked. So we're going to start with what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean to guard your heart. First of all, it doesn't mean that you treat everyone with suspicion. Okay? We don't treat everybody with suspicion. That's, you know, that was Elvis. We, we, we did Suspicious Minds back in the 70s, the 60s, the 70s. Some of us will remember that song. Elvis has left the building, okay? So we're not going to be doing Suspicious Minds. We're not going to treat everybody with suspicion. We're not going to hold everybody out at arm's length. And we're not going to be putting walls up around ourselves. Because do you know what? If we put up a wall around ourselves, not only are we stopping people from getting to us, but we're also stopping the bad from coming to us, but we're also stopping any love that actually wants to come to us. So we're not called to put up walls around us. Okay, does that give you a good enough analogy there? That we are not to, we're not to stop people, we're not to put up walls and say, don't come near me. You know what, maybe you've been hurt. Let me tell you something, we've all been hurt. Every single one of us, regardless of your age, you've been hurt at some point in life. We're not going to put up walls. We're going to allow those walls to come down today. So guarding your heart as well, it's not about isolating yourself. The Bible's clear about isolating yourself, except, of course, under COVID situations. But you know, we're not going to hide away in our closet and isolate ourselves, because the Bible says that he who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment. It's me, myself, and I there with my pity party. We're not going to do that. Bible says in Genesis 2, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. That was God who said that. It's not good for man to be alone. Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. Hebrews in the New Testament speaks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We need to get together on a Sunday like this, on a, on a Wednesday night at 7.30, not 7.30 a.m., just in case, okay? But not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're not called to isolation. We are called to relationship, to fellowship. The Bible comes up with the word koinonia. It's shared life. That's what it is. It's Byron coming to church on a Sunday, making bacon butties for all of us. It's shared life. That is shared life. We stand around, we drink a cup of tea, we drink a cup of coffee, we say, how was your week? I was speaking to Andrew earlier on, hearing his, what, what had happened to him this week. And it's just that shared life. That's what it's all about. 
So we need to guard our hearts, but not against people. I do want to put a caveat, though. It's, you're not to guard your heart against people unless you're in an abusive situation. If you're in a relationship which is physically, emotionally, spiritually, or even financially harmful to you, you need to distance yourself and you need to get help. Okay, so I just want to put a caveat in. So, and we also, not to guard ourselves, but guard our heart by blocking people out. And here's another caveat, unless they're not good for us. Some people are just not good for us. You know what, sometimes you hang around somebody and at the end of the time being with that person you think, oh, they brought out the worst in me. There's bad fruit. And you know what, the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, bad company corrupts good character. In fact, a modern version says, if you lie down with dogs, you will get fleas. So we're not going to lie down with dogs. Everyone's scratching in the back there. If you lie down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Some people are just not good for us. And it's important to know who's influencing who in the relationship. And I'll give you an example of this from my own life. You know what, when I was, I don't know what the modern terminology in school years, when I was in standard, standard six, um, I was a very horsey person. I just was mad over horses. All I did was live, eat, dream, sleep horses. And I was pretty innocent in many ways, in many regards. And when I was in high school, in standard six, this girl came into our school and she had been expelled from the school. Now I'm talking about the 70s in South Africa and things were so much worse in those days. Everything was so much worse. You know, if you did something wrong, it was everyone knew about it and it was a big shame. But anyway, this girl arrived from another, uh, from a boarding school where she'd been expelled because she'd been caught with drugs. So, um, so she was expelled and there was a, um, the, the courts had put an, an order in place and with a list of people's names that she was not allowed to associate with. And so now I'm innocent, 13 years old, in high school, and this girl suddenly enters into our sphere. I don't know why she was attracted to, this, to my group of friends, but suddenly the very life that she had been living became attractive to me, and I started living that life. I'm not saying I did drugs and I became a heroin addict. That's not the case. But I did do drugs and I did get bust and I did land up in prison for a little, for a weekend. But, um, but you know what? The point is, is that my parents warned me about this person and said, stay away from her. Just stay. She's bad news. They didn't even know what the whole story was. I didn't tell them. But they said, stay away. But I didn't listen. Bad company corrupts good character. Let me tell you something, there's a couple of younger people in, this, in the service today. Maybe, just maybe, your parents see things that you don't. Okay? Just maybe, your parents will see things that you don't. But I started lying down with dogs and I got up with fleas. Bad company corrupts good character. So we need to guard our heart. So we've seen what it isn't, so now we're going to see what it is. What, it, what does it mean to guard our heart? And I think that the most important part about guarding our hearts 
is guarding our hearts, not from others, but from ourselves. We need to guard our hearts from our own thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks, we're talking about guarding our heart, but as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Where the, and Joyce Meyer likes to say it like this, where the mind goes, the man or the woman follows. Whatever is in your mind, that's what, that's what sets you on course. So we are a product of our thought life. What we think matters. And your thought life will either strengthen you or weaken you. So we need to be aware of what we're thinking about. We need to think about what we're thinking about. In other words, you're sitting here under the sound of my voice, but suddenly your mind's gone on to lunch, okay? I know that's not happened to anybody here, but suddenly your mind it drifts. Become aware of where your mind is going, and it's about disciplining our, life, our, disciplining our thought life. You know what? We don't have to just accept every thought that lands in our head. Martin Luther King was the guy that said, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. We can, we can control our thoughts. We don't have to just think every thought that just lands in our heads. Philippians 4.8 in the Message Translation says it like this, you'll do best by filling your minds with the best, not the worst the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Because what's going on on the inside of you affects you. It's your inner life. It affects you. Proverbs 4.23 in the Passion Translation says, above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. They affect all that you are. Your affections set your directions. It's important to remember that. Philippians 4.8 from the New Living Translation says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fix your thoughts on what is true. You know what? So many emotions germinate from a lie or a presumption or an assumption. And a prime example is text messaging. Oh, I don't even have my phone on me. Text messaging. Do you know what? I can read a text message and I can say to Chris, hmm, they've got the hump with me. Look at this. Just read this text. And you'll say, well, you'll just read it. Why do I think they've got the hump with me? They haven't put an emoji. They haven't put two little cross kiss kiss at the end of the... So I presume they've got the hump with me. But I'm believing an assumption. I'm believing a presumption. I can see a few little smiley faces. Like we are, I'm not the only one that this has happened to. But we need to protect our heart. We need to guard our heart 
not by basing what's happening on a presumption or an assumption or a perception, but by knowledge and truth, by truth. Like the Bible says, fix your thoughts on what is true, not from what you perceive to be true, but on truth. Love believes the best. Love believes the best. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it says that love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. So stop believing the worst. I don't know if, am I the only one? You start, you know, you hear something and you just believe the worst. No, love believes all things, hopes all things. We've got to lose all skepticism, cynicism. I can't get all the zzzzs out. But lose it all, the suspicion and the skepticism. Let's lose it. They suck the life out of you. I don't know if you've ever been in conversation with somebody who's very cynical, who's very suspicious. Man, it makes me defensive, you know. But it sucks the life out of you. Lies deplete you, but truth completes you. There's something good about hearing truth. Man, it's just, it's, so, it's food to the soul, isn't it? But love believes all things and hopes all things. Love never stops believing the best for others. It never stops hoping for the best. We have hope. We sang it actually in one of these songs that we just did earlier today. We have hope. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at different ways in which we guard our heart. And today we're going to start with the, I said all that just as a little foundation. I'm starting my message now. It's about hope. Okay, hope. Proverbs, no, sorry, Psalm 27, verse 13. This is the psalmist David who wrote this, and he said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is written by David. You know what, when he wrote this, David wrote about 40 of the 150 psalms, and he was going through a great trial when he wrote this, because he said, I would have lost heart. He was going through such a great trial that he was about to lose heart. He was discouraged. He was despondent. He had given up hope. He had become hopeless and weakened. But it says, but I would have lost heart. I would have lost heart. In brackets, I would say, but I didn't. Why? because he believed, because he had hope. He believed he had hope. So the remedy for losing hope, for losing heart, sorry, is hope. The remedy for losing heart, if you feel that you're losing heart, you've lost hope. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord now in the land of the living. Not one day in the sweet by and by. That's no good to me. I need the goodness of the Lord in my life now. I don't know about you. I'm not going to wait until I go to heaven. I need it now. So we're just going to, I'll try and give a bit of a background of what's happened to David, uh, the psalmist, what happened in his life. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're not going to go there because it's three chapters long. But in 1 Samuel 27, 28, up to 30, there's the account of David who 
had been on the run for years from King Saul. And David finally decided to align himself to seek refuge from the Philistines. Now, I don't know if you remember that the Philistines, remember when Goliath, he was a Philistine. So previously, David was actually an enemy of the Philistines, but he went and sought refuge from the Philistines during this period of his life. And uh, because he was trying to seek refuge to get, he was on the run from King Saul. And so they, David and he had about 600 men and they had temporary shelter from, uh, from King Saul for about 16 months. And um, even though that they were previously enemies, but they, they had temporary shelter with the Philistines. And eventually came to the point where the Philistine leaders said, nah, don't know about trusting this guy anymore with David. So because they had been previously been enemies, so they sent David and his men away and said, go back to Ziglag, the city that he came from. So David and his men went back to Ziglag, and it was a three-day journey from where they were in Jezreel, a three-day journey, they arrive back at their city, and as they're approaching their city, they just see smoke rising from what was left of the city. And what had happened was the Amalekites, who were the other enemies, that's all they did was fight with one another in those days, but the Amalekites had attacked the city of um, Ziklag. They'd razed it to the ground. The whole city was plundered. There was nothing left of it. It was burnt to the ground. And the enemy, the Amalekites, had taken away captive all the women and all the, all the sons and daughters. They were, there was nothing left. And the Bible says that when, they, when David and his men arrived at, at Ziklag, they began to weep. I mean, they were exhausted already from their three-day journey, but they began to weep until they had no more power left to weep. Have you ever cried so much that eventually you've got no, you've got, you can't even cry anymore because everything was gone. They had lost everything. But it doesn't, things were bad, and then they got worse, as they say. Despite the tiredness of the men, they decided they're going to play the blame game. Whose fault is it that all of this happened to us now? That the city is now raised to the ground and our wives and our children have been taken captive? Let's blame David. It's David's fault. And so they decided they're going to stone him. So we pick it up in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 and it says this, David was greatly distressed. I mean, he was greatly distressed. This thing had happened to him as well, but now his men are blaming him. Like, David, it's your fault. It's your fault. He was suffering extreme anxiety, plus sorrow. He'd lost his wife. He'd lost his children. The pain, the, the sense of loss was overwhelming. David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But listen to this line. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You know what? There's something intentional about that. David strengthened himself 
intentionally. You know what, I think if I was David, I would have fallen down in a little heap and cried my little eyes out some more and thrown a little hissy fit. It's just not fair. We all suffering the same thing. Why is it all my fault? But he didn't lie down kicking and screaming. He did something. He did something. He didn't expect God to supernaturally just arrive on the scene. He did something. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And you think, how? but then what did that look like? How does he? It doesn't say. But we know that 10 years earlier, when David was 20 years old, the prophet Samuel had declared over David that he would be the next king. So if that was true, that David was going to be the next king, and David already was in a hopeless situation, but he knew that God had a future and a hope for him. He knew because God had promised him that he was going to be the next king. So the way he strengthened himself in the Lord was by reminding himself of what God had promised. All hope was not lost. What God had promised, he was able to do. God had promised David that he was going to be king. So even though the men were threatening to stone him, he thought, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die today. I'm going to be around. They're talking about stoning me, but I'm not going to die. I trust God. I trust God above the voices of these men. He strengthened himself with truth. He, he strengthened himself with truth. And it's the same for us. You know what? If you're feeling discouraged, disheartened, maybe going through a big trial, go back to the promises of God. Strengthen yourself with truth. Good place for this, just on a practical point of view, get yourself a journal. Write things down. You know what? We both have books, Chris and I. If you don't have a book, we'll buy you one, okay? But just get yourself a little notebook. And when God speaks into your heart, I'm not saying an audible voice. We're not hearing voices, okay? But when God speaks into your heart, maybe through a scripture, maybe through a prophetic word, maybe just in the, in the quietness of your heart, write it down. Write it down. When you, because when you go through the trial, because you will go through a trial, in this world you will have trouble, you will have trouble, but Jesus says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But go back to that scripture, go back to that word that he gave you, that truth. You know what, even in the preparation of this message, I went back to a promise that I had from God last week, two weeks ago. God gave me a promise two weeks ago. And it, it strengthened me. That word strengthened me. Oh, it doesn't matter what it, what it was, but discouragement weakens us. But encouragement, encourage, strengthens us. So we need to guard our heart by, against discouragement, feed it with hope. Psalm 27, again, verse 13 and 14, he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he goes on and he says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. He shall strengthen your heart. You know what those words, good courage, and he shall strengthen, those, those words, courage and strengthen, are interchangeable. Wait on the Lord, be of good strength, and he will encourage 
your heart. Be of good courage. Psalm 31, 24, 24 says, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Be of good courage. It's so connected. Courage, strength, and hope are all connected. David had lost his strength, but by waiting on God, he retrieved his hope and he encouraged himself and strengthened himself. You know what, in Psalm 42, verses 5 and Psalm 42, three times in two, two, two Psalms, David says these exact words. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He speaks to his soul. He says, why are you cast down, in my, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why are you troubled within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. You know what, the message translation, paraphrase, says, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? <laughs> I like that modern version, isn't it? Stop crying the blues. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? It's good to speak to your soul. If you're feeling low, if you're feeling discouraged, why are you feeling discouraged? Why are you feeling, why are you feeling low? Why are you feeling like energy and strength has been sapped from you. The first thing to do, what have I been thinking about? What have I been thinking about? Because what we think about takes root in our hearts. And I, I just want to encourage you, first thing in the morning, Psalm 63, 3, written, another psalm written by David, he says, early in the morning, I will seek you. Do you know what? I find, this is something that I have found and. I try to practice this as a discipline in my life, is some of the first thoughts that pop into my mind when I wake up in the morning, sometimes they're negative. And I carry, I used to be like this, but, and I, but I have to work on this on a constant basis. And I can carry those thoughts, those negative thoughts into my day. And that will set the, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That would set the path for my day. I would wake up, I'd be feeling low, I'd feel depressed, I'd feel discouraged, think, oh, woe is me. I've got to go through the whole day like this. No, I've got to learn first thing in the morning, early in the morning will I seek you. Before those thoughts, when those thoughts come, when those negative, what day is it? It's Monday. Oh no, hate Mondays. No, I don't. I love Mondays. Wasn't there a song like that? Boomtown Rats? I hate Mondays or something, or I love Mondays. I can't remember the song anymore. But you know what? Don't allow the first bad thought that comes into your mind to stay there and determine the rest of your waking day. Don't allow it. As a man thinks, so is he. Take cognizance of your thoughts. Become aware of what you're thinking about. So we need to guard our hearts against our own thoughts. Thinking thoughts of discouragement saps the life out of us. Words of hope bring life. I just wanted to try and describe to you what is biblical hope. Biblical hope. Hope is the confident expectation. I'm not talking about wishy-washy, well, I hope so, we'll wait and see, and let's see how things work out. Biblical hope is the confident expectation the sure certainty that what God has promised in his word is true. That is what biblical hope is. 
It's not just an emotional wish or a motivational thought. Biblical hope is having a strong and confident expectation that what God has promised, he, is a, he will do. Hope is the thing that stabilizes our frantic thoughts and, and emotions. It's an awareness that there's no problem too big for God that he can't resolve. This is what hope is. But hope has to begin by looking outside of ourselves. We can't just hope. There's got to be a basis for it. There's got to be a foundation for our hope. And that's what this is all about. It's about the Word of God. This is full of God's promises. It's full of, his, of hope for us, for our lives. So we've got to look to God and His Word. There are, there are, and, and when we look to His Word, there are prerequisites. There are, there are requirements on us of things that we need to do. Like the psalmist David. David, why so downcast, O oh my soul? I will yet praise him. I hope in you, my God. God doesn't just supernaturally arrive on our circumstances and say, here's some fairy dust, sort it all out. No, we need to think about what we're thinking about, have that strong and confident expectation that what God has promised, he will do. You know, last week, Byron shared here, Byron and Veronica did such a fantastic job last week. It wasn't so absolutely so refreshing having them here. And, um, but Byron shared something last week about his grass, his, his lawn that had this little bald patch and how he had to try and, um, he was trying to get the grass to grow. And what he, did, what he had to actually do, first of all, he had to take out all the weeds, isn't it? And then, Byron, you hoped that the grass would grow, and they didn't. So eventually, you had to go and sow grass seed. You know what? And so maybe, I just want to put it, and he sowed, sowed grass seed. He didn't sow dandelion seed. Am I right, hey, Byron? You sowed grass seed. And what happened? The grass grew. And it's for us as well. We need to take, sometimes we need to take responsibility for what's going on in our lives. I'm telling you, it's key, it's pivotal, it's foundational. Get a grip on despair in your life. Get a grip on despair in your life. Take responsibility. You know what, maybe it's someone else's fault that you're in the position that you're in, but even if it is somebody else's fault, we're not gonna be like David's men, whose fault is this? But let's take responsibility for our own lives. You know what, if Chris and I ever have an argument, which we don't, okay, but if ever we have any disagreement, both of us, it's up to us to take responsibility for our own, for this, for our own hearts. We've got to think about what we're thinking about. Don't stay there. You know, but like, like David in Ziklag, his men wanted to stone him for their loss, but he didn't sit there and have a pity party. He took responsibility. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Do you know what? I just want to encourage you. Become aware that God cares for you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's not trying to be mean-hearted, mean-spirited. He wants to take care of you. 
And so have, a, have an open heart to know that this, this is a hope from God. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait upon you, expecting your breakthrough, for your word brings me hope. I just want to finish coming in, I'm finished actually with my message, but what I want to actually finish is that in 1967, anybody who lived in South Africa in 1967, yes, a few people here, do you know what, it was world news, first heart transplant, the first successful heart transplant was, was performed by Chris Barnard, a South African. Man, it was such a fantastic time for, to live in South Africa. We were so proud of this person, this doctor, of um, heart, the heart doctor, the, the what he was? Krutuskin Hospital, that's the one. Do you know what, he performed a heart transplant, a live heart transplant. But you know what, there's nothing new under the sun. It wasn't the first one. Go back to the Bible. Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So maybe today you've come in here and you're burdened, you're anxious, you're discouraged. God's saying to you today, I want to be your Chris Barnard. I'm going to give you a new heart. I want to put in you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take away that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let's just close in prayer.